Good evening, everyone. It's Thursday, Necro Thursday, and we're coming at you with this week's episode of the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Jeff? Good, man. How you doing? Doing well. Uh, life continues to be um, good and um, very, very uh, positive stuff going on. I'm really, really happy that things are going mm. well. And, uh, mm. you know, it's just uh, looking forward to the spooky season. This is my favorite time of the year and uh, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. We're, uh, we're uh, you know, I used to do a horror movie a day back uh, maybe 10 years ago. I haven't really been able to pull it off, uh, but I'm going to try to do it again this October. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm on the same page, man. Like, the last two years um, have been just, like, these incredible downers for me. So I haven't really had the uh, gusto to engage in that uh, activity in October. But this year is different. So I'm going to get back into the, you know, 31 days of Halloween trip. Yeah, I miss doing it. It's it's so much fun. I mean, I don't really do much. I, I work. I kind of go to work early. I come home late. But, you know, a good way to unwind is uh, watching a movie. And, um, you know, uh, something about the change of the season just makes it, yeah, I, I just want to watch nothing but horror movies. Yeah, I mean, I usually love watching horror films, but there's just something cool about doing it with, like, intention, like this time of year, you know? Absolutely. We got some good ones ones picked out. Um, one of them was from a listener mentioned, and uh, it, it made me remember, like, oh, yeah, I have that. I got to watch that again. Uh, so we're going to try to start it off with that movie, Anibaba. And uh, I got a bunch of old black and white movies that I, I bought but never watched. And now it seems like a good time to finally watch them. Yeah, that's something I'd actually want to cover. I remember that caller. Um recommending Anibaba and that's that's something I'd be interested in doing as a proper episode at some point yeah like yeah, we really got to go through uh all the recommendations there, there were some really good ones in there yeah we we've been trying to you know it's um we've definitely been trying to get through through a lot of that some of the stuff has uh come to pass and we've done it but a lot of people have a lot of good ideas out there so we're trying to hit every one of those absolutely have you been watching anything lately uh yes actually a couple things um well i watched the first episode of the new american horror story <laughs> the one with the, the kardashians or whatever yes well uh the one kardashians in it oh it's just one okay yeah and um i'm, I'm a total mark for american horror story i mean i watch yeah. every, i watch it every year i don't give a fuck it's like you know, I know, I know it's debatable whether or not it's good, you know, and, uh, I just really enjoy it. Um, you know, last year's I thought was cool. Like the, the, the kind of, you know, riff on cruising in New York city in the seventies, I thought that was a cool, um, you know, idea this year. I only saw the first episode and it's definitely like, uh, I would say Rosemary's baby. If David Cronenberg um directed it and wrote it wow yeah it's um we'll see we'll see how it pans out but like it's uh it's it's fun you know it's um i only watched one episode so far so we'll, we'll the, the verdict is out kim kardashian uh is a not a good actress um <laughs> shocking yeah and it's made plain when she's doing scenes with like um you know, actual actors, you know what I mean? 
Of course. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's no Evan Peters, which he's been a mainstay of the show for a long time. And uh, I always enjoy his work as well, you know? Yeah, good actor. Yeah. And I just um, reread a Robert E. Howard book called Almerick, which um, it's one of his lesser known pieces. And it's a full length novel. It was serialized in Weird Tales, like way back in the day. And it's kind of like a um, pastiche of like a Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter of Mars kind of thing, where there's mm-hmm. this guy who lives on Earth. He gets teleported across the cosmos to this barbaric planet. And uh, yeah, and that's pr- basically the whole plot. <laughs> Sounds interesting. I, I definitely have to read more this this Halloween season. I keep saying every year that I'm going to read more and they never fucking do. There's a ton of great stuff out there to read, especially in the horror genre. And um, lately, I've I've really been embracing all this like pulpy stuff, like Robert E. Howard and uh, you know Burroughs, you know Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Carl and I have been doing that uh, Carla Wagner rundown of uh, In a Lonely Place on Everything Went Black and Soul Mox, and that's definitely fed my appetite for that type of fiction. Nice, nice. What about you? Cool. Well, you know, I, uh, I've i been working on this project here in my house. I finally got shelves for all of my DVDs. So uh, as I've mentioned a million times, all my Blu-rays, DVDs have been in boxes for the last five years. Yeah. And finally took them out of the box, finally got the shelves built. So I'm just kind of like organizing it. You know, like they've been in boxes for five years, but every once in a while I dig through them to try to find like, oh, I know I have this. I want to watch it. And, you know, some things you don't put back. Um, some things, they, they get disorganized. And then I moved and now I realize I'm missing a bunch of stuff. So this last week, I kind of gotten back into buying physical media. Nice. And yeah, it's been, it's been about like 10 years, I feel like, since I've really um, stopped collecting. And so I... I took a trip down to uh, Waterloo Records and I picked up uh, a few uh, Criterion Blu-rays. Nice. And I got uh, Polanski's Cul-de-Sac. I got uh, Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life and um, David Lynch's Inland Empire. And I oh, uh, started rewatching that. And yeah, yeah. That that might be an interesting movie to talk about. I mean, it's 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 a horror movie. In Inland a way. Empire? Yeah. Yeah. I saw that in a theater, actually, when it came out. Me too. Me yeah. too. What was that, 2006? It was a good one. It's yeah, scary. it's interesting. It's scary to think about how long ago that was. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> It seems like the latter half of my life has just flown fucking by. It seems like it was yesterday I was living in New York, and it was really like almost 20 years ago at this point. I can picture exactly what it was like going to the theater to see that movie. And uh, I saw it, I think, at the IFC in Manhattan. And that's where I saw it. It seems like yesterday, dude. Mm. Dude, If you remember, it was really cold. We had hit like a really cold spell in New York. Yeah. We might have been in the uh, same theater, actually. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. The theater, I went during the day with with Randy, our our, our mutual friend, Randy Larson. Right. And uh, it was me, him, and maybe like two other people in the theater. So I'm not sure one of those those people. I saw it at night, like after work one one evening. 
and uh, it was, I just remember it being really cold. It's quite a way to end your work day. Three hour David Lynch movie. <laughs> well, it was important to see it in a the theater because I haven't think I've I don't think I've ever seen any of his other films except well actually that's not true. I saw Mulholland Drive in the movie theater and Inland Empire and that's it. Everything else has been like, you know, DVDs and VHS tapes and things like that. The first movie I saw in the theater when I moved to Boston was Lost Highway. I went with uh my future bandmates, Aaron Turner and Chris Marishev. And uh, I went to see Mulholland Drive. Do you remember that theater in the Prudential Center in yeah. Boston? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to go there all the time. I saw that there. And it was, I think, completely empty. Actually, uh, I've been to that same theater during those those years. You know what's really crazy? I only li- I only lived in Boston for like five years. Dude, I was just thinking about that the other day. I'm like, yeah, I lived in Boston for what, 10, 15 years? Yeah. It was seven years. Like, no, it was, tops. It, yeah, it was like literally five years I lived there, but it seems like such a huge part of my life was spent in that city. Yeah, dude, the exact, I feel the exact same. I think as I moved there when I was 19. Yeah. And you go from 19 to 26, 27, I was when I left. You go through a, a lot in those years. And oh, yeah. yeah, so that's, that's probably. That's probably what it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of stuff happened in those years for sure. And uh, but yeah, it was only like five, maximum six years that I lived there. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Um, oh, one more thing I watched. Uh, I wanted to bring up to you. I, I rewatched Body Double because uh, oh, you man. and Mike covered it a few, oh, like a month or so, so back. That movie rules, dude. I have not seen that since I was. I don't know, 12, 13, 14, somewhere. I was really young when I saw it, and I don't think I had seen it since. And, man, what a what a movie. No one makes such well-made, trashy <laughs> movies like, like De Palma. Like, that, that, was, that was his era, like the 80s, I think, the early 80s. Yeah, that movie is so sleazy. And once again, there's, like, the ongoing conversation that me and Mike have about American Giallo films. And, uh, you know, that dress to kill that all neatly fits within that sort of classification, in my opinion. Oh, definitely. Uh, what do you think De Palma's last good movie was? Like, I feel like it's been since maybe the 90s since he really made a good movie. Early 90s. Yeah, probably. I, I'd have to really look at his, his um, filmography to uh, come up with that i know mike from pennsylvania hates uh de palma <laughs> really he's not a big fan apparently yeah i mean you know through his uh-huh. uh voicemails and whatnot you know hey you know di- di- different uh different taste you know yeah. like, but also I, we, I haven't heard from him in a while hope he's doing well you know mike if you're yeah, out there yeah. give us a drop us a line let me let us know how you're doing yeah maybe rewatch uh you know body double see if uh, maybe you uh, see if you change your mind. Yeah. Uh, before we get too deep into the episode, I just want to shout everyone out. Uh, the other horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse, a.k.a. the podcasting Illuminati. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Right? The elite. Yeah. With our yes. <laughs> war against mediocrity. We're looking to provide the very best in media to you guys. So kicking the week off, we have Brandon Legion with Horror Wolf 666 
Tuesday, every Tuesday, Jackie Smith brings you into the Necrosphere, which is literally the only music-related podcast that I regularly listen to. Wednesdays, everything went black. I, that's I started that doing that like years ago, and um, it's like a pretty eclectic bunch of subjects, a lot of stuff on there. You know, pretty wide net is cast. Thursday is, of course, is Necro Thursday, which you all know if you're listening to this podcast. Friday, Break the Apocalypse comes to you. Sunday is the day that Soul Knox is deployed by Carl Hakara. Uh, we've been doing this uh, collaboration talking about Carl Edward Wagner, which I mentioned earlier. And then lurking in the margins, too free to follow a regular schedule, we have Iblis Manifestations, brought to you by Cheyenne of the great band, Trivax. And that's it. There you have it. Yeah. We also have, uh, we mentioned, we touched on the fact that we have a voicemail line and the, the necrophone, and you can reach us at 908-913-0782. That's 908-913-0782. So give us a call. You can say whatever you want, make recommendations, that kind of thing. So uh, to kick things off, we got two voicemails. We got uh, Travis from Michigan. Hey, guys, this is uh, Travis from Michigan, um, a longtime listener, uh, first-time caller. Um, I'm a real big fan of the show. I've been listening to you guys a couple of years, and because of you guys, I've discovered, um, you know, the horsemen of the podcast Apocalypse, and I listen to Horror Wolf and Into the Necrosphere, everything went black, and I just started checking out Soul Knox, and uh, I just wanted to express my gratitude. Um, I know a lot of us out here are real busy and don't have a, a lot of free time, and you guys are part of my weekly routine, and the amount of stuff that I've discovered through you guys is just huge, and I'm still trying to work my way through it. <laughs> um, so thank you. Um, it's rare I get to see new movies these days because of my time, but I did watch All Eyes, and Death Metal, both were recommendations on Horror Wolf 666. And I enjoyed both. They are both really fun. Um, um, I don't know if you guys, how much you guys like Funeral Doom, but I've still been listening to the new Bell Witch that came out a handful of months ago. It's still part of my rotation. And with the fall coming up, it's just very fitting for the mood. And I'm just not sure how you guys feel about that type of music. But um, I'm a big fan of them. But... um. Once again, I just wanted to express my appreciation for your guys' podcasts. And I'm a big fan of your guys' uh, work outside of podcasting. Um, all of your guys' bands I've been a fan of for years. And Otto, I'm just kind of discovering the stuff you do, and so far I like it. <laughs> um, and I was hoping that someday you guys can put together like a podcast apocalypse hoodie. That'd be awesome. Um, but, yeah, um, thanks again for everything, and I hope you guys have a great week. Yeah. That was cool. Thanks for calling, Travis. Appreciate it. Um, glad you enjoy the show. And uh, next up, we have Jason from Seattle returning. Welcome back. Glad to hear from you. Hey, Necromaniacs. Uh, this is Jason from Seattle again. Um, I uh, had two more recommendations for you. Uh, I thought uh, felt appropriate uh, for 
the the seasons and the you know the you know, the weather changing it's getting a little bit colder uh the first one uh is the movie Black Mountainside which shares a name with a Led Zeppelin song oddly enough uh not sure if you've seen it uh it's really good it's it's a sort of a arctic not arctic i guess but like a canadian like north isolation movie kind of kind of has like a, a a feel like of the thing a little bit but it's definitely not it's more like a almost like a long x-files episode for a movie pretty low budget um not not terrible special effects uh it's a good tense plot i i, I really enjoy it i think it's a great movie to watch uh as the sun starts getting uh you know, darker earlier and uh, the leaves are changing. It's getting colder. Uh, fantastic movie. Uh, check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, and the second uh, recommendation is uh, a music recommendation. I had mentioned uh, Last Voyage of the Demeter last time I called. There is a an entire series uh, by a record label called Library of the Occult. They're doing uh, lathe cut seven inches uh, by artists on their roster uh, based on the novel Dracula by Bram Stoker. Uh, really great. You know, it ranges from kind of like 60s sounding, you know, symphonic, uh, you know, there's uh, psychedelic sounding, there's like giallo sounds. Even uh, kind of gothy, you know, like like almost Bauhaus kind of sounding bands on there. Uh, it's it's all on their Bandcamp too digitally. If you yeah, if you miss out, I've missed out on a few of them. Uh, an excellent excellent uh, thing to listen to during the uh, you know the October you know spooky season. Uh, all their all their records are great. I I love them. Uh, you know, even their non Dracula related material is fantastic. Library of the Occult. Check them out. Um, really enjoyed the episode on History of Violence. Um, killer movie. Uh, super underrated. Wish Vigo Mortensen had done more than that in Eastern Promise. Now, Black Mountainside. If you go mm. back to uh, episode 75, we actually covered that movie, and it is a good movie. It's um, definitely a cosmic horror. Um, you know, you mentioned that it's uh, similar to the thing in some ways. It's like a very, very limited budget riff on that kind of thing. And um, yeah, did, have you seen that one, Jeff? I don't know if we have talked about this one. Yeah, you and I covered that one. Oh, it right? was me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Right on. All right. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. It was no, I really liked it. it. That, yeah, it was good. You know what would make a good uh, double feature is uh, that and Larry Fessenden's The Last Winter. That's fucking a great idea, man. Maybe I'll maybe that'll be something we'll do in our uh, Halloween uh, nightly viewings. That's that's a cool yeah. double, double bill, man. Yeah, that's that's due for a re both of those are due for a rewatch from me. And did didn't you did you not interview the filmmaker for that? I did. Yeah, that's okay, uh, right. also you can find that. That's when um we kind of dipped our toe in doing uh, interviews on necromaniacs 
And um, yeah, that was a cool interview. It was cool. Yeah, it's fun to to have those every once in a while. Throw people for a loop, you know. If I have an interview on here, yeah. I mean, I think that the move was to, you know, make Necro all film, you know, review type discussions. And I think that now I've been doing more of the interview stuff on Everything Went Black, you know. Yeah. And uh, with the exception of uh, like if an Adams Family movie comes out, we might do like a special. Because those guys are, you know, they're friends of the show. You know what I mean? So we they get special right. treatment. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have not. The li- Library of the Occult. That's something brand new to me. I never even heard of that. Same. Yeah. But it sounds cool. It does. Yeah. So that brings us to, us to this week's episode. Uh, we're doing uh, The Woman in Black, the... 1989 version there's a there's another version that's out there or another film with the same name is it a remake or what's this what's the story with that other movie it is i guess a remake since this one did come first um the remake was 2012 yeah um but i mean the filmmakers may have never even seen this version because this is also a book by susan hill and was made into a very successful play that has uh Kind of trout like you know there. I saw it in in the Pasadena Playhouse, which when you think of Pasadena Playhouse, sounds like a swinger party or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but obviously, the play originated in London. It's uh, the play's been going for a long, long time. If it's playing anywhere near you, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. But uh, this this does have a lot uh, some things in common with the 89 film. So I, I, I would imagine that the filmmakers of the Rio for uh, the Harry Potter version, the Daniel Radcliffe version are at least a, aware of this. Um, you've seen the remake, right? No, I haven't seen either. I haven't seen the remake at all. I, I wasn't even aware that it existed really, you know? Really? Yeah. Oh, it's, that, that would be interesting for you and I to talk about uh, off there. I'd love to know what you thought of that. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to watch it over the weekend. Maybe. Yeah, you know, I uh, broke out my copy of it uh, this morning, actually, because I, I did a rewatch of this last night as we're about to talk about it. And uh, I remember going to see the remake in the theater. I was very excited uh, to see an updated version of, uh, of this film. And uh, all I can say is I, I was I was disappointed. Oh, OK. But uh, yeah, this um, this movie came out December 24th, 1989. It's uh the screen. It's like you said. It's based on uh, the Woman in Black by uh, Susan Hill. The screenplay, however, was done by Nigel Neal. Now he's a pretty uh, well-renowned British, um, you know, screenwriter. And you'll if, if anyone's checked out the Quatermass series, have you seen any of those movies? I'm well aware of those. Oh yeah, but they're great. I, yeah. I think I've seen one or two ages ago, but it's been a long time. They're very dated, but they're awesome. And, um, yeah, it's like, they're cool movies. I, I, I really enjoy them, especially if, I mean, it has like that Lovecraftian kind of vibe to a lot of it. You know what I mean? Which I, I always appreciate that. Um, you know, a little sure. folk horror kind of thing thrown in there. Um, but in the U S though, he was, uh, also did the screenplay for uh, Halloween three, which is one of my favorites. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Oh yeah. As a matter of fact, um, in Prince of Darkness, 
though John Carpenter wrote that he's um credit his last name is credit he changed he has like a nom de plume it's Quater Mass and that. All right. Yeah. So Carpenter, Carpenter's a he's a big Nigel Neal fan. So any any of you guys who aren't familiar with this guy's work, definitely check out some of the stuff. He's done a lot of British TV, a lot of BBC stuff, and um it's all worth checking out. Like once again, I said it's some somewhat dated, but still very good. Uh d- also directed by Herbert Wise, and the film is 103 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that uh, the writer had worked a lot in British TV. This was actually, uh, I don't know if you said this already, this was a made-for-TV movie. I did not say that, but um, it seems, I can see that, definitely. Yes, this didn't play in theaters. This was released on Christmas Eve, too, <laughs> in 1989. <laughs> huh. um, well, you know, it, it's funny that... Um, I was just talking to someone about how horror just kind of hits a little different on Christmas. It doesn't have to be a Christmas themed horror movie, but when I saw that this was released on, on Christmas Eve, I was like, Oh yeah, I get that. Yeah, I, I agree. Like this, it has a wintry vibe, so I can see it hitting really good around that time of year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So and, I, uh, it has a little bit of that British made for TV feel to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the, some of the main, uh, I mean, cast members we got adrian rollins as arthur kidd bernard hepton as uh sam tooby pauline moran as the woman in black um claire holman as stella kidd that's uh, arthur's wife john carter not of mars uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, as arnold pepperell and um yeah, I don't know. There's like some other people on this. There's a you know, pretty pretty nice looking cast in here. And uh, of course, there's Spider the dog who plays like a big yes. role in this. Yeah, this almost, I mean, not a big cast. There's really only one character that you follow through the whole thing. Yes, yes. I mean, it's pretty much all about this guy. And um, any any of you guys out there who have read... um. M.R. James, the British author, this movie hits a lot like an M.R. James story, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. You know, like okay. uh, Count Magnus or uh, Whistle and I'll Come to You. Yeah, you know, these kind of ghost stories. These, like, you know, kind of like vibes like that. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, it has that. And then also some of Adam Neville's short stories hit like there's like reminiscence of this this movie and i think in some of adam neville's work too interesting interesting hmm uh well mike you said you weren't familiar with the remake i was wasn't sure when when i mentioned doing this if you'd seen this before i haven't actually this is a brand new thing to me i i only knew about this through you i think or someone had talked to me about it and I'd, i'd never seen this before it was probably me um that doesn't surprise me, though. I mean, this is pretty obscure. Uh, uh, you watched this on YouTube, right? Yeah, it's. I can't. I don't think it's available anymore, but it, anywhere rather streaming. Um, I even tried to rent it, and it wasn't available for rent. So, any guys out there, if you don't have a hard copy of this, you can find it on YouTube. It's the uh, the Woman in Black, nineteen eighty nine. Well, some interesting things I found. Um, 
this, like I said, it aired on Christmas Eve. It did not air on the BBC again until 1994. And apparently this was a big hit. It's a big critical hit, but um, didn't air again. Uh, I found out about it. My mom owned a copy of this on VHS and uh, saw it as a fairly young kid, however old I was in 1989, 1990, you know, 13-ish. And uh, this, I ended up tracking down a copy of this on amazon but it's a burned copy it's not an official release this didn't really get an official release uh until 2015 and it's only a region 2 blu-ray and also that is out of print huh and it's strange to me why this is so obscure um because anyone who's seen it uh, that i know of has really enjoyed it, and it's it's very uh, well regarded as one of the better ghost stories. Yeah, it just might be some kind of licensing thing. Who you know? Who knows really why these things uh, fall into obscurity? Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a real shame. I mean, we I, this is like I think a textbook example of how to tell a really good ghost story. There's not a lot of frills. There's no really not really special effects. There's no jump scares. Okay, well, there's one big scare, but I, I don't consider it a jump scare. There's no loud music cues, anything like that. It is just a simple story executed very well. Yeah, and I would say, you know, there, there's this term that people throw around these days called quiet horror, you know? Yeah, okay. And that's that's kind of like what this vibe's like. You know, it's um atmospheric. Uh, not not too slow moving, but not a lot really happens. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, very true. I think by today's standards, it would be considered a little slow. Yeah, maybe you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm 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 very much into kind of like slow stuff with like a lot of dialogue and that kind of thing and this falls within within that because a lot of it is told almost like a like a narrator would tell it you know like there's this whole part where um kid is like dictating some of the things into a um you know a primitive recording device and there's uh parts where he's listening to these like recordings and things like that so it has like that kind of vibe to it yeah, I I was thinking about that when I was rewatching it last night. How it's not really expositiony. The dialogue is it comes naturally through conversations with with people. Um, this movie follows uh, Arthur Kidd. It's Arthur Kidd. Kidd. Uh, it's different in the book. I know that, but they changed the name to Arthur Kidd for whatever reason. I don't know. It's like in the Wicker Man remake. It's Summer's Isle instead of Summer Isle. Who knows? So you read you read the book. Um, I read about the book. <laughs> I, uh, I saw the play, but I did not read the book. Uh, funny enough, yesterday I went on YouTube and it's a book on tape is on YouTube. So, uh, I'm going to do that this season. Nice. Um, and, uh, so anyway, like, um, this is a period piece. Did it say exactly when this took place? I, I would assume it's like the twenties. Yeah, definitely like early 20th century, you know, they have cars, you know, and they have these primitive recording devices and things like that. But it's definitely like, yeah, like the 1920s or something, something in that range. 
Yeah, and like all this stuff is new. Like at one point, I remember Arthur was seen to be really getting kicked out of like the the house had uh, you know electric light, and he seems to get a real kick out of that uh, recording device. I got a kick out of looking at that. I was like, man, that was fucking complicated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I really like you know the setting is such a big part of this. Like if this was uh, took place in like you know two thousand twenty, it's not the same tone or atmosphere it's something completely different and that and that's why i like i like period stories like this because um you know there there's like a, a lot of unknowns a lot of unknowable stuff from that period of time like you know you're you're cut off from things in a different way and it's more um like singular you know like if you're it's your if you're in a cabin like we'll get in you know this this is how it relates to the story, but if you're in some remote house somewhere, back then you're there by yourself, like for real. Yeah. Like now, you can text or FaceTime or whatever. You know, like you're you're like never really alone these days. Yeah, exactly. You'd be sending texts to people like, "This house is haunted AF." LOL. <laughs> LOL. <Yeah>. Haunted <laughs> AF. <laughs> Hashtag ghost. Oh. <laughs> yeah and you know it made me think the period piece like you know what did being rich back then really mean like you had electric uh, light and uh you know <laughs> <The> you, <phone. laughs> yeah it was just nothing to do back then yeah uh, I, I don't know it's just one of the random thoughts that, that that went through my head watching this but so yeah we meet arthur uh kid he's a young uh solicitor yeah, it's like he's similar to like Jonathan Harker, you know, he's like one of these like, you know, guys who settled uh, legal affairs for people, you know. Right, yeah, and he's, uh, something about this actor I wrote down is he reminds me of Sting, <laughs> of a young Sting. <laughs> I can see that, uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay, all right, I just had to get that out there. I was like, maybe maybe I'm crazy, maybe someone else will agree with me. Reminded me of Sting. Um and he's kind of a chipper guy. You know, he uh, is probably like, if you work in an office, you probably know a guy like that. He's very popular, kind of smiling all the time, cracking jokes. Um, has an asshole boss with a stiff upper lip. And uh, he is tasked with settling the affairs of Mrs. Drablow, who recently passed away. He is to go to her town, settle her affairs, and sell this house. And he uh, meets Sam Tuvey on on the way. So you see right away when when he's tasked with settling her affairs, you, there's already you can see that uh, his boss doesn't want to go and do it himself. Yeah, exactly. Because there's there's like a vibe of a kid being this like not not a junior member, but also not quite a senior member of the staff either. Like he's a guy where. Uh, you know he's he's not in the beginning in the beginning of his career, so he's in that middle period where you're kind of like trying to f fit in more with like the upper senior level guys. And his boss kind of comments like on that how he's like, you know, uh, if you have a career in mind, you can't be fraternizing with the junior members of staff. And he's like, what's that on your sleeve? And there's like a you know some mustard or something like that on his sleeve and. Kind of commenting was, on his appearance and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's in that phase of his career. It's like, this could go one way or the other. So do this for us, and things are going to go better for you. Yeah. 
But there is the sense later on that you get to, to feel that like, you know, his boss did not want to go out there. And that kid is kind of like this like sacrificial lamb in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I was thinking the same thing too. Almost, almost wicker manish. Like you're being sent to, to, to your doom in, in a way and you don't yeah, know it. Um, exactly. You know? And yeah, and, there's like similarities between like Dracula and like wicker man, because, you know, similar to Harker, he had to go out to, you know, well with, with Harker, he was like, facilitating the move of somebody but it's like yeah it's like he's going to some remote place out in the hinterlands and uh to do a job that has to do with like real estate and uh you know the affairs of some well-off person right and you can tell he doesn't want to go but this is going to help his career you know he's got a new he's got two he's a wife yeah a son who's maybe, I don't know, three or four and a, and a newborn daughter. And he doesn't want to leave them because his boss is like, it's going to take a week. And uh, he doesn't want to go, but he's got to do it. And yeah. he meets uh, the Sam Tuvi, such a great British name. I, I really like the names in this. I know it's Tuvi and Eel Marsh House and Drablo. Like, it's very good well, uh, made up names. Pepperell. That's another good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and uh, uh, Sam Tooby strikes up a conversation with him on the train, and seems to take an interest in the fact that he is settling the Drablo estate at the the Eel Marsh House, and he lets him know, "Look, if you need anything, anything at all, please talk to me." You know, and I don't think Arthur Kidd thinks much of this at first, but as he gets to the town, the uh, the Drablo House, you know, this uh, has like a bit of a a reputation it's like somewhat infamous in the local town and uh you know people are reluctant you know they think it's not such a good idea for him to go out there right but no one's saying uh why you know you, you do like people are saying oh you're gonna be the only person at the funeral no one wanted anything to do with that old lady and what, what i like about all this too is the audience isn't ahead of the main character there was no intro explaining who the woman in black is, what any of this is. So you're learning the information along with the character. And I, I like stuff like that. I hate being too many steps ahead of, of the person you're following in the film. Yeah. And, and um, the whole setup of this thing, like I said, it reminds me of like this kind of Count Magnus, like MR James kind of vibe where, you're out in some remote part of England, and or in, in, in this case, it's England. Um, and there's like this scourge or something, you know, like there's like a rich person, like a landowner who the townspeople are either afraid of or they hate them for some reason. But there's bad blood between the townsfolk and this, um, you know, quote unquote, overlord. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I like how he learns. That. I, I love the scene, like in in the place he's staying in, that the old British, I guess, the hotel, and they're all like having like this communal dinner, and the yeah, you know, like the they have these huge pieces of bread with this really like like hardcore homemade looking butter. Yeah, I know it, it just felt very like real. Like it, it like this felt like it was like it didn't feel like you were watching people dressed up. Uh, pretending it was 1920s. It felt very real to me. Yeah, and it touches on that kind of folk horror trope, too. And, um, you know, where it's like the town folk, 
you know, and, and, uh, that's like a, I see that a lot in these types of movies and in this type of fiction where there's like the very, uh, salt of the earth, you know, rustic folk, like that kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I picked up on that too. This does have a folky horror vibe. I mean, while it is a ghost story, it's also sort of a, a curse movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we also learned that the only way to get to the Drablo house, the Eel Marsh house, is through this like causeway. There's no road that takes you out there. You have to go to this causeway <laughs> that's uh, submerged at certain times of day by the tide. Yes, and uh, no one wants to take him. I kind of, I, I kind of uh, love that. Like, I, I kind of like. Oh. In some alternate future, I think I'd like to live in a house like that. Oh, absolutely. Oh my God. I love it. Uh, um, um, but so, yeah, he goes, he goes to the funeral like he's supposed to, and he sees a woman in black, a mourner, he thinks. And, uh, he doesn't seem to pick up on that, that no one, he's like, Oh, look, there she is. No one wants to look at her, mm-hmm. at her. And, uh, the other, he, there's a local solicitor there who attends the funeral with him, who's sort of helping Arthur out. Yeah, right when Arthur says, oh, look, there she is, he, he just kind of turns away and shoes. there's these kids kind of hanging around. And he yells at the kids to run away. And uh, I don't think Arthur is picking up on any of this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. it hasn't sunk in the, uh, that he's in a dire situation. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and uh, you know, the town is, is aware of this sort of stuff. But, you know, he's, in the, he's pretty much in the dark about it. Right. And... Uh, you know, I like when he does finally he takes the <clears throat> get to the Drablo house. I like that it's just the house. Like there's no real ominous shots of it. It's just a house, a big empty house. Like there's no effort in to make it look creepy or anything like that, and that makes it a little bit creepier to me. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it's not like there's like some thundering sky and rain and like these big <laughs> gothic, you know, windows and doorways and vaulted ceilings. It's just a, it's just a house of like a, you know, well-off person would live in. Yeah, and you know, it, it's not in disrepair or anything like that. It's just a an empty house, and there's a good scene of him sort of wandering through, uh, lo- looking into doors. And so you get like a, a sense of how big the house is. Um, he finds one door that's locked. Uh, but what is interesting about that scene too is before he starts to go through the house, he goes, he's sort of wandering the property. There's a graveyard on the property. Okay, which I'll give it that. That that's creepy. Yeah. And he sees the woman in black again, and this time he's scared. And this time the audience gets a better look at her. Yeah, and she's got like this kind of, um, you know, like, uh, you know, she's in like a black metal band or something like that. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like pale, like black around the eyes, like that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like she's in like critical yeah. filth or something. It was cool. Uh, like, like I like that it showed a close up on her face. You know, and she's just it looks like a person, but a little off. Like, like you said, like <laughs> yeah, black she's, in, she's in cradle of filth. You know. <laughs> Yeah, but what's funny about that? That happens. Synth and (laughs) crystals. Playing synth, drum pads or something. Um, So that happens. He's obviously scared, but then he just kind of goes through the house like 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 it didn't happen. (laughs) And he finds a recording device, and he's very fascinated with that. And uh, 
he records the sound of his own voice. I guess that's what you did when you were bored and rich back then. You you whistle a little tune into your recording device that probably weighed like a hundred pounds. Oh yeah, definitely, man. I mean, that's yeah, that's the thing. It's like I think people they read, you know, they you know fucking did chores. Who knows? You know, maybe some yeah. people like you know wrote, did stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they didn't know. You know, they they didn't know anymore. I'm sure a hundred <laughs> years from now, people are going to look at what we were doing and just be like, "God, those people must have been bored out of their minds." Yeah. Like in a hundred years from now, they're like traveling between dimensions and stuff. You know, like how they get how they get by without this? You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, we talk about it all the time on tour. Like, how do we ever tour without cell phones? Yeah, and that's I have vivid memories of having like a whole notebook of like. MapQuest directions printed out, you know, and, and a road atlas, and that was basically how we did it. Yeah, and if you like lost the page of that, like you were fucked. Yeah, you had you had to go to like a you know one a place where you can get online and, and print it out again or something, you know. Yeah, Kinkos was a Kinko's. big part of your touring schedule. Yeah, you know. Does Kinkos even um, exist anymore? That's a good question. I have no idea. Someone let us know. Leave us a voicemail. <laughs> Does Kinkos exist? Yes, if you are a Kinko's manager or were, uh, please let us know. We want to hear from you. <laughs> All right, so I think uh, our Arthur Kidd is finally, I think, becoming somewhat aware of what's going on. Um, he's seen this this thing, this woman. He's hearing, he's listening to these old recordings on this recording device, and they're ominous, kind of telling a story of... Uh, uh, Mrs. Drablo, who seems afraid of, of someone stalking her, yeah, of coming for her. Yeah, we learned that, uh, you know, um, her sister, Jeanette, she had a child out of wedlock, and the, the Drablos adopted um, the, the kid, you know, just because uh, that was what you did back then. There, you couldn't have children outside of wedlock. Right, yeah, that was a, a big a big thing back then, you know. Again, you know, there was a, an, you know, impolite or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Jeanette didn't like this, so she collects her son and tries to escape across the uh, causeway that is partially submerged or submerged partially. Par- well, <laughs> it's not partial. <laughs> it's completely submerged part of the day. <laughs> yes. Um, you got it out there. You got yeah, it. <laughs> I got it. I got it straight now. Okay. Um, but the horse uh, becomes trapped in the marsh and sinks, and they're killed. So, you know, that's that's the nature of all this disharmony out there. And he knows this because he hears it. He hears these sounds coming from the marsh yeah. of, of of horses and people screaming and a child screaming. And uh, really like that that moment the first time he hears it and and uh, you know the dread is just starting to build for him. And that's really what this movie is all about, man. It's just like this feeling of like impending doom and dread and fear and intangible things affecting your psychology and stuff like that. Yeah, and and isolation, like we were talking about earlier. You know, he's. Uh, at this house alone, you know, no cell phone, <laughs> no, no connection to the outside world. And uh, yeah, it, it's scary. He does go back to the 
mainland or uh, and has a conversation with Sam Tuvi and Sam asks, how did it go? And that's when uh, Arthur says, I think, you know, I think you know how it's going. Let me ask you a question. How many people mm. in today's society would just crack without having that level of, of contact? Oh, uh, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I always try to like put myself in that situation. What would I do? How would I react? I'd be gone as soon as I saw the woman in black. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it started thing. As soon as things started getting weird, I'd be out. I wouldn't even stick around. Yeah. The, the, no way. Even like Sam Tuvi gives gives him his dogs. Like, well, when you go, if you really insist on going back, take my dog. So now he's got a, a companion. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and course, even that, you know, you can't talk to the dog. Well, you can't talk to the dog. But it's not going to talk back. Yeah. You know, in spite of the dog, you know, animals have like this, like, you know, uncanny sense of things. You know, that's that's kind of like what spider plays his role, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like things are kind of going along and then uh, he'll, the spider will start barking and kind of staring intensely at something. And uh, one of the better scares in this movie, too, is just that door that we saw locked earlier. He goes back up the stairs and it's open. Very simple, but so effective. Yeah, no, absolutely. Definitely. 100%. Um, so Kid becomes sick. And, uh, you know, I guess the stress and all this, like, supernatural shit going on takes a toll on him, and he gets sick. And then when yes. he re recovers, he goes back home to uh, to London town to his family. And he's a changed man, to yes. say the least. He's no longer the happy-go-lucky kid, the life-of-the-party family man that everyone knew him as. Right. Uh, he's... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say he had like a, you know, almost like a Lovecraft character where he had seen something that really shook him up and changed the way he sees everything. You know, he's probably not a guy who thought too much about this stuff, but, you know, here he was having, you know, he had a con contact with a ghost. With, with a few, because the house also, there's a spooky child's voice kind of going throughout the house that keeps giving him a toy soldier like you can't seem to get rid of this thing actually it's funny i i had that noted as well that he is kind of a lovecraftian character because in a lot of the, his stories there the there's madness that ensues from some kind of uh interaction with the beyond you know and that's exactly what happens to kid here is that he you know he observes this whole thing with the woman in black and all this uh supernatural stuff and he comes back a completely different person. Yeah, like you mentioned, he's not the happy-go-lucky guy, and he gets really mad at his boss. And I felt like the, the, he would never have done that before. When when he said he stands up to his boss, like I think you knew, I think you knew what was going to happen, and you sent me anyway. You didn't want to go. Yeah. Um, also, uh, some of his uh, juniors at the office noted that there was a customer waiting for him. Yes. <laughs> a woman dressed in black. Man, black. I like a widow. Love that. You don't see it. You're just hearing yeah. his coworkers tell him about it. And it sends a chill up your spine. It's creepy. And yet 
it's just dialogue exchange. You don't actually see that happening. Uh, it's it's it works so well. Uh, you know, Drablo ends up. I'm sorry. Um, kid starts going through all of his stuff from the Drablo residence and uh, looking for the toy soldier that was passed to him, but he can't find it this time around. And uh, then he just incinerates all the stuff that he brought back with him. <laughs> yeah, and also and burns up uh, most of the office as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and of course the boss uh you know sends him to the house gives him his papers you know <laughs> yeah exactly um but at that point he doesn't give a fuck i think arthur knows he has somehow put himself in harm's way um well one thing we do learn that there is a curse this woman in black is somewhat of a curse whenever people see her someone the child dies and Arthur stopped that. Uh, he saved a, gy- a gypsy kid. Oh, yeah, uh, that the, happens the words way in the, the film. beginning. Yep, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> and yeah. so, yeah, that kind of put him in harm's way. And he mentions that to Sam Tooby when, when he saw the woman in black, he felt the hatred in her eyes. He felt hate that this thing hated him specifically. And I think now he knows he's put him his family in direct danger they don't say that but he i I think he knows you can see he's unraveling you know he just burned down his office you know a sane person doesn't do that so the the way this whole thing concludes is uh he's he's out arthur's out with his family and they're boating um they're on this lake and of course he sees the woman of black uh levitating over the surface of the water and uh a tree falls and kills the entire family. And they drive. Wife and two children. Yep. Yeah. Credits roll the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I it's mean, like it has almost like um, a burnt offerings ending. You know what I mean? That's true. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. That's that's spot on. Yep. Uh, this was very unexpected. Uh, downer. Dower ending for a made-for-tv british movie that that uh aired on christmas eve well uh you gotta remember the british also brought us um you know the cure and joy division and uh bauhaus (laughs) you know morrissey and all this stuff too so uh they're they're a dour morose folk you know what i mean yeah yeah that's that's a, a very good point but i would put this in one of the the uh, darkest endings to a movie I've seen, you know, that's up there with the, the mist. Yeah, I could see that. I, I agree with you and on that completely. I saw it, like I said, I saw this when I was 13, really affected me and got under my skin and couldn't stop thinking about it. And even watching it last night as an adult in a, in a dark house, you know, it was done turning it off. Again, I'd go to the, the kitchen you know i find myself turning lights on to walk across the, the to the kitchen you know it it stays with you it's incredibly spooky and they do it with very little like the woman in black is maybe maybe in the movie for two minutes <laughs> you know like you just see glimpses of her here and there but it's used so sparsely that that that, that it's effective it works really well yeah, it, it's uh, it was good, man. And you know what? I think um, if you go to uh, 
the Necromaniacs Facebook, along with this episode, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post a link to this on YouTube because that's literally one of the only ways you can watch it unless you have the, you know, the, the DVD or something like that. Right. And, you know, uh, the quality on YouTube isn't the best. But like I said, I, I saw like basically a ripped copy from the VHS. And that sort of adds to the atmosphere of this thing. Yeah, I'm just looking right now real quick. Yeah, it's even hard to find a hard copy of it, too. Yeah, it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's a damn shame. I definitely so, going to read this, though, for sure. Yeah, I'm going to listen to the, the book on tape. But, uh, okay, your first time seeing what, what did you think? Like, what would you give this? Oh, I loved it. it it's very, very much, very British, very much in that M.R. James vibe which I love, huge fan of his. Uh, there's like some Lovecraftian subtleties, like the trajectory of the character of Arthur Kidd, you know, mm. follows that sort of, you know, decline of a typical Lovecraftian character. And um, the atmosphere, the whole trip of the movie. So for me, it's a 4.5 out of 5 easily. Great. I'm really glad you liked it. Um, I give it a five. This is a top five horror movie of all time for me. Uh, I love it. I loved it when I was a kid. Uh, I love it now. Uh, I can't find anything wrong with it. Like I said, this is a very simple, efficient storytelling. Uh, no, no special effects, nothing like that. There's, I think maybe one shot of blood in this whole thing. This is a PG eighties horror movie. And, and it's one of the scarier, films you know we're all adults now things don't you know we don't really get scared by movies very much these days but this one scares me it's creepy spooky it gets under my skin i love this movie uh it's a a halloween staple of mine i don't watch it every year but uh you know maybe every few years or so and uh it's one of those two like you know like when when i started dating my girlfriend six years ago this was one of the ones i was like oh i gotta you gotta watch this you gotta watch this you know i'd love to show people this movie for the first time <laughs> yeah it's it, it was solid and um yeah, like i said i'm gonna post the youtube link along with this episode so you guys can check it out at your uh you know your leisure but yeah it was a good one man thanks for bringing this up and um yeah this this was a solid film yeah, and, and people listening, please, please, please uh, check this out. Follow the link. I obviously wa- watch it before you listen to this. <laughs> yeah, um, and we spoil the shit yeah. out of it. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we did. Uh, and half of the fun is watching this thing unfold and then just getting beaten over the head with that depressing ending. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's a day ruiner for sure. But, and, uh, yeah, please check this out. I'm, I'm going to be on the search for a hard copy of this. Hopefully someone like Severin or, you know, Arrow someday does like a proper Blu-ray release of this. You know, uh, I'm going to protest outside of the office of the Criterion Collection until they put this out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. This needs to be, um, this needs a, a wide release. This is a great movie and, and horror fans would eat this up. And it needs it, it needs more eyes on it. It needs some attention. Like yeah, you said like I, I when I looked at for a physical copy uh, last night, and I think there was only three available from like a private seller. So yeah. this is very obscure movie. Yeah, 
Well, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. And um, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. Take care. Yes.